TY Skin podcast is being held on the lands of the Wurundjeri people, and I wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and Aboriginal elders of the other communities who may be here today. Hey, Tanea, how are you going? Hi, Yanni. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Long time no talk. It's been a hot minute since our last episode. I know, because you've been in recovery. Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> so tell everyone what's been happening. So Sounds um, like you've, like, been <laughs> So I got a BBL. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I, um, I had my septoplasty finally. So I, if... Um, some, for people who don't know, I've had a lot of um, sinus issues um, over past probably 10, 15 years. And I've finally gotten on top of it and I had a really bad deviated septum and things like sinusitis and rhinitis a lot of the time and a lot of um, congestion. And it's been affecting my life a lot, a lot. And finally got a functional surgery for it. So um, nothing aesthetic for me. That was just a personal choice that I made. Um, that I didn't want to get any reconstruction to my, um, the aesthetics of my nose, but I did get, um, all of the insides cleaned up and ready to, ready to go. Ready to smell the flowers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. After I go see my allergist. Yes. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's been good. I, I had my operation last week and, um, it went really smooth, like just to keep it really simple and short, like it went really smoothly, um, I literally had it like a week ago, like seven days ago, and I'm already you look amazing. Thanks. Um, I didn't really have any like bruising. Um, the only thing surprisingly that I had a reaction to was the tape that they put on my face. Oh, I'm like that with anything band aids tape. Like my skin just does not handle it. I've never had it before, and I think like it was just because like I was just I guess in a compromise. Like you know, I had it. I was put under anesthesia, and you know, like they put stuff in my body to keep me asleep and all that stuff so it might have been that and like my body and you was... had also you had a peel the week before or like just before oh yeah I did yeah I was getting my skin prepped and ready to look good in the, <laughs> hos- look good in the hospital for the doctors yeah I love yeah it. that's right so if you hear me sniffling um <laughs> it's because I can't blow my nose yet <laughs> I'm still in a bit of recovery but yeah the pain, no, no pain, nothing. I've really only had to take a couple of Panadols today. It's been amazing. That's so good. Counting my blessings, honey. So happy for you, honestly. Yeah. In a long what? time coming. I can't wait for the day that, you know, you're not blowing your nose in front of me. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Giving, spreading that, um, that flu all around. How, um, what, what have you been doing? What's, how's your skin been recently? How have you been recently? I've been good. We've just both of us, as you know, are just finishing our uni semester. So been very yes. busy with that. We've been in clinic working on some clients that come into our student clinic, which is fun because we're allowed to do that again. Um, and, of course, we get treatments on ourselves. Like I just said, Yanni had a pill the other week and I had a Jesna pill. So oh, fun. So fun. I was really excited to try it. I love being a guinea pig. Um, so a Jesna peel is a mix of lactic acid, salicylic acid, and citric acid. So it's really good for any like congestion, pigment, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, and like overall, you know, just a nice exfoliation and glow. I didn't really get 
much flaking, which I was hoping for because I just love that kind of response. <laughs> like I just You're flake. like shed me, you're like a cocoon. <laughs> Literally like a snake, just shed it off. Um but I probably could have done more layers. In my mind, I was like, Jez not strong, you know, but I think I underestimate how prepped my skin is. I probably could have gone a little bit more, um, a few more layers, a bit more intense. Um, but no, I'm feeling glowy and gorgeous now. So, yeah, it was amazing. They're so good. Those mixed uh, those mis- mixed acid peels are amazing, like, for, like, tolerating the skin because they're, like, lower concentrations, but they're all mixed together to really give you a good benefit I feel like even yeah. your like your skin journey in the past year it's been so good like you've really like built up your immunity of your skin and like you know getting them LEDs getting them peels it's been good for you yeah 100% yeah how are you feeling now though how, how when, when did you have that peel last week uh, the week before I think so yeah okay. I'm fine. that's amazing yeah absolutely breezing through it um, love it so let's chat products. Any new ones for you? No, um, I haven't had any new products actually. I've just been kind of um, staying away from like anything new, just like around my operation, just keeping it plain Jane. Um, I did have, a, have an LED though um, last week, which was nice just to kind of prime my body, you know, just to get it ready for an operation. Um, so a lot of people, if you don't know, LED is even really good for like, priming the body or the skin um before any sort of procedure um and it helps like kind of get your immunity and your skin ready for the battle basically instigate all of those wound healing cells to the area before you have the wound incited yeah basically (laughs) yeah um so that was good for me and it was just you know leds non-invasive so nothing really happened but yeah what um, I have been using new hair care though, mm. which has been nice. Um, kind of like skin adjacent. I've been using, um, I've been starting on some salon, um, hair products from De Lorenzo, which has been really good. Um, so I've good. Only... vegan, cruelty free. Yep. Stunning. My sister actually uses that. And so I sneak some of it from time to time. <laughs> it's so good, honestly. And they have like a control, um, line for like oily and like thin hair and it's been really good I've just been trying to um train my hair now because it's you know training your hair to not wash it all the time it's it's a bit difficult can look a mess sometimes but I'm on that journey so yeah yeah I'll keep you posted you have to push through it a little bit but like washing it less is so good for the health of it as well yeah absolutely but yeah that's what that's new with me what about you um not personally um i there is a product that i want to buy though that i've been using at uni and it's the mesoesthetic fast skin repair it's like a post treatment balm it's like a moisturizer it doesn't have spf but it really is just like a moisturizer you use after treatment but it's like when you're wanting something thicker after a treatment but that's not occlusive that it's perfect it's really nice I <laughs> it is so good I'm laughing because I love it so you just reminded me how much I love it because literally like obviously I have oily skin or whatever and I don't like thick products but like I don't know how something can be so rich so matte but not sticky like I'm so at surprised all that I'm actually honestly this is a testament to this product like I'm shocked that you like it 
it's like the opposite <laughs> yeah, literally like. literally oh my god yeah because you know me well i'm like ew like zinc oxide sunscreen get away from me <laughs> like yeah, anything in- kind of thick where yeah but it's right in the middle it like gives you everything you need and like you can lather it on like oh and i looked it up you can buy it retail so i'm gonna be that's gonna be in my next order for oh sure. that's cool it's not like a salon only thing no because like obviously at uni we have the big professional bottles so yeah no you can buy it um in like small retail which is great i'm definitely gonna get some of that love that adore beauty hey i'm sure they've got it <laughs> I'm sure they do, yeah. Get that delivered the next day. Oh, it's so good. Yes. Love that delivering. Add. Um, <laughs> add hashtag not spawn. <laughs> but honestly, if you're listening, hey. Hi. No. Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it for products. I mean, I'm just sticking to my same old routine at the moment. Love it. It's good, I think, to stick to things that you're familiar with sometimes especially if you're feeling a bit inflammatory or reactive or whatever but I think also winter's a really good time to like go like go hard with things sometimes because you don't have the threat of high UV yeah that's a great point like um we always say like winter is the time to do all of your facial treatments like BBL laser like all of those things where UV is a massive factor now's a great time and especially because you're not having that um, that like stimulation of your pigment, which actually is a great segue into our topic today. <laughs> yeah. So, what is our topic today, Tanea? So today we're talking all things pigment. Pigment, like we say it a lot. I'm sure people that are into skin and into skincare see pigment everywhere. There's so many types. It's really just an umbrella term. So, Yanni, what is pigment? So pigment, so this is a bit of an introduction to pigment this episode because it's such a big topic and we honestly didn't want to cut any corners when we were talking about this because it should be really well known and, um, you know, with with everything right now, like with the world, how it's globalising, pigment disorders affect so many darker skin people and the world is becoming much more mixed um, in terms of um, race and ethnicity. So pigment conditions and disorders are coming up on the rise and they affect so many different types of people. So we really wanted to like get real nitty and gritty, but pigment as a whole is kind of like an umbrella term referring to um, cells, conditions um, and inflammation and this kind of like cycle yeah, and like a um, cascade of events in the skin which causes pigment. So often as an from an aesthetics point, we're talking about pigment, we're talking about a lesion of pigment. But true pigment is like melanin, different types of melanin, which is a small organelle um, which gives our hair, our skin, our eyes colour. So yeah. it's very necessary. And pigment is like everywhere and in so many different things that you have to treat. And it's a huge consideration that you have to, that like, you know, um, therapists and clinicians have to take in when treating you, even if they're not treating a pigment lesion, you know, like pigment is in our hair, like um, pigments in our eyes, like you said. And um, most importantly, it's in those, you know, those pesky lesions that we can have that can kind of cause us grief sometimes. Absolutely. So, um, 
pigment's main role is to protect. So when it is formed, it's actually taken up by your skin cells mm-hmm. and forms a what we call like nuclear capping where it goes over the nucleus, which is where all of your DNA, cellular DNA is kept, and it actually protects it from the sun and from other things as well, but mainly the sun. Yeah. Um, so you can see different parts of the world where people live depending on the climate. People have darker and lighter skin types. Um, so this is due to the increased need or the decreased need for that protection against UV. Obviously, that's so different now. Um, and, you know, like Kani said, everyone is so mixed now. Um and everyone's living everywhere all over the world. So that's why sunscreen is so important for every skin type, um, especially in Australia. Like we have the highest prevalence of skin cancer um, and yep. they form from too much exposure, the inability of these, of our melanocytes, which is the cell that produces the pigment, the melanin, which is then uptaken by the cell. If these if this can't happen effectively to protect ourselves, it will create large nests um, and that's when we see conditions which we then end up treating to remove, such as freckles, um, age spots. We'll talk about this more in the second episode. But these come up from the skin's inability to function normally because it's had this overexposure and it's now damaged. It's It's in like damage control mode just trying to protect what it can in those areas of such you know severe depth Um, yeah and they and yeah so like basically um if we're talking very like i guess superficially pigment or melanin really protects our cells called keratinocytes, our skin cells, and they already have their own sort of defense mechanism where if they, if the DNA in them does get damaged, they do a repair, you know, they can snip out a part of their DNA and replace it with a new, uh, like a new fresh DNA. The body doesn't really want to rely on such mechanisms. It's a very like things can go wrong and, you know, like we see that. Patients. Yeah. Yeah. And we can see that in things like, carcinomas where things can go really wrong where skin cells differentiate and grow um you know awkwardly and dangerously but most of the time our pigment helps us and this is where we have things called nuclear caps so how pigment works on this level of like defense is where the skin is being where the skin is getting attacked per se by uv radiation from the sun pigment follows it so this pog- this uh, depositing this pigment in certain areas of the skin is a defense mechanism to protect the DNA of our cells and maintain the function of our skin. Absolutely. And, uh- um, you know, other things like uh, reactive oxygen species, which is a um, kind of precursor to the inflammation and how pigment um, gets its trigger is a big um, component also. Absolutely. There's so many um, factors which can cause pigment. And then we also have people um, more of our lighter skin types, so our Fitzpatrick's like one and two, 
who have freckles or ethylates. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, like a genetic variant. Um, yeah. This goes back to the types of pigment that we might have. So we've got two, like we've got melanin, which is the overall that encompasses the types. Um, but the main two that we see are um, eumelanin, which is our dark brown to black pigment. Um, and then we've got our pheromelanin, which is our more uh, orangey-based pigment that you see people who might have red hair or people that freckle really easily. Um, and that is like a genetic variant um, and there is a different enzyme in that cascade of that, that production of that melanin, which decides which one it will be. Mm. Yeah, so, but yeah, like with kind of that cascade of like what, what pigment you're going to be having in basic terms, the eumelanin is our brown-black melanin, um, you, which you can see in, like, hair and um, in skin a lot. And the pheomelanin is more that, like, brown-red pigment. So that's what you see in, you know, people who are born with auburn and ginger hair or people, freckles even. Freckles are, um, are a pheomelanin um, pigment lesion. And that's, like basically what you know people need to know about that yeah everyone's different everyone's ratio will be different and everything um so yeah pigment is in all of our skin everybody has it um in your like skin structure you have one melanocyte to about every 30 to 35 skin cells and this doesn't actually change like we don't People with darker skin don't have more melanocytes to produce pigment. Um, everyone has almost the same amount. It varies a little bit. Um, but people with darker skin have more activity of those melanocytes. Yeah. Interesting. It's a fun fact. It is really cool. Um, it, and it's a big kind of like um, it's a almost like a myth almost. And it's a really it's a harmless myth. But like, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, like African or sub uh like Caribbean uh, African um, people have more pigment in their skin, but really it's more about these differences in like size and activity. So with lightly pigmented skin, so we're talking about people who, you know, are Northern European um, or even like all Europeans really, um, melanosomes, which are the organ, uh, organelle of melanin are smaller and they're in these more early stages of maturation. So they're much more smaller and they're not really like um, performing as well as, um, as higher mature, mature leveled uh, pigment. And then these are transferred to, you know, surrounding skin cells and as clusters in membrane bound organelles. And then you find in darkly pigmented skin, Melanosomes are more abundant and larger and they're in these later stages of maturation, so stage four, and they're singly transferred to neighbouring cells. So there's a lot more activity happening there um, and there's a lot more, you know, um, commotion going on. So, um, you know, when, when, you know, when someone who's dark, uh, dark skin, Fitzpatrick um, four and above, um, you know, has sort of a cut, or trauma or inflammation, they are going to have a higher risk of that um, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, for example. Absolutely. And this, yeah, this increased production of 
melanosomes and melanin means that, yeah, any site of injury, they're going to have that darkening of that tissue. Mm. Also means that they do have a higher level of protection when it comes to tanning rather than burning um, to the sun. But it absolutely does not mean that these people don't need to wear sunscreen because there's still a massive risk of um, developing skin cancers and things. Absolutely. And just to go in a bit more in depth about like what – because, you know, we've been talking about melanocytes and melanosomes and, like, what's even the difference between that? Melanocytes are a, a melanin cell. So a site means cell in scientific words. These basically sit at, like, the bottom of a skin structure and they extend outwards like a hand almost. Like, like they an have octopus like, a little bit. Yeah, like an octopus almost. And they have, like, these little fingers that outstretch um, the skin cells where the melanosomes, the organelles, the little circles travel down these um, fingers and get transferred into the keratinocytes to function, you know, to protect our skin. Perfect. So that's, so that's a bit like how it works just to kind of visualise it, I guess. We will um, pop a link to a fantastic diagram in the show notes for that one. Absolutely. It's, it's really helpful. Love them show notes. Um <laughs> So we've been talking a lot about Fitzpatrick skin types tonight, and I feel like we haven't really t- spoken to the audience about like what that even means and like how do dermal clinicians even use that? Yeah, we've touched on it on previous episodes, but we'll have a bit of a refresh. It's so relevant to this topic as well. Yeah. So basically the Fitzpatrick skin type scale is something that we use all the time. It's a scale of one to six. Um, and basically when we are deciding where someone sits on that scale, it's all about their skin's ability to pigment. It's not about just their skin color. It's about their skin's ability to produce pigmentation. So you could be very pale, but then due to your background and your skin's ability to pigment, you could cut yourself and that could go very brown. So then you're sitting higher on the scale. So when we are determining this, we ask things like your um, family history, like where your family is from, how your skin responds in the skin. We also look at your natural hair colour, your eye colour. We can ask like if you've had a little cut or a burn, does that go pink or and go away or does it... Um, go brown and take a long time so they're just a few of the things we'll ask to determine Um, and this indicates like a lot of the time what machines we'll use to treat you um, and what's at the safest way that we can treat you to minimize adverse reactions or causing any pigment from a lot of the treatments that we do that are creating wounds or inciting inflammation where we might get that pigment pigmentation response um so we can treat as safe as possible yeah definitely couldn't have said it better myself really and it's a it's it's one of those tools that are used by like clinicians really and like a lot of people because it's such a reliable you know like piece of uh information and a tool to use like i guess we just wanted to explain it to so people can get an idea of what it is and um even with with a fitzpatrick skin type um algorithm it's important to note that like you know just looking at someone that's not how you can determine a Fitzpatrick skin type you know because there's so many nuances to people's um 
genetics and ethnicities, you know, like we, we, um, we know so many people who, you know, they look white, like they look like a Caucasian Northern European person, but you know, they have, um, they have, uh, Australian indigenous, um, heritage mm. and they pigment so much. You, we, we, we know people who, you know, for example, me, I'm, I'm Greek. So there's a lot of people in Greece who live in cold climates and really hot climates. And there's so, so much differences in that. So really getting down to the nitty gritty of that and, um, you know, a clinician asking you really um, in-depth questions about that is important to make sure that your safety is there in a treatment and, you know, your, um, your effectiveness for the treatment is going to be there because um, at the end of the day it's, it's all about, like, the result for you and your safety. Absolutely right. And another thing to add on as well is your Fitzpatrick skin type does not change. So I've seen before... Oh, I'm sure I'll see it again. People saying, oh, you know, is a two but like a Fitzpatrick two but would be a three in summer because they tan. It's like, no, then they're a three. If you have that ability to tan, that might bump you up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have to treat according to um, Fitzpatrick type, not according to how they're presenting at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Ability to pigment. Yeah. Well said, well said. So um, so just for reference, um, I guess we could talk about our, our Fitzpatrick, like what skin types we are. So um, I sit at a four in the Fitzpatrick skin type scale because I, if I were to go out in the sun hypothetically and try and tan, I would get a tan very easily. I will burn a little bit in some areas of my body, but overall I'm going to have a bronzing of my skin. Yeah, and I also think that almost I almost think that the tanning thing is a bit redundant in Australia sometimes because you know we we have such high UV here that everyone's going to build a tan somewhat. I know, honestly. But you tan easily, so I, do. I am a three. I can build a tan, but I burn, I freckle as well, so that kind of throws me off. I have blue eyes, but I have dark hair. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Your freckling does give you that three, Fitzpatrick three kind of indication. Yeah, or even a two, you know, it kind of makes yeah. you lower down the scale. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that three to four is a good point of difference too because, like, you know, Tanea, for example, would be really well suited for something like a Q-switch laser or, like, ablative resurfacing where I might not be as much. I might have that tendency to rebound pigment and kind of like get an undesirable endpoint. Yeah, so the yeah, the difference between me being a 3 and you being a 4 is huge. Like for me it's very like low risk. I don't pigment very easily. My I, I scar pink. So you can assume that the risk is low, but then even just from going from a 3 to a 4 for you, you have that a bit higher ability to pigment, so it's something you really need to be aware of. Um and so one way that we really control this as clinicians is to use pigment inhibitors, um, which we will discuss more in the second part of this episode because it is all about pigment. And so they're used to treat existing pigment but to also prevent pigment production. So we use these to prime and prep people's skin. Um, we'll talk about this more in depth, but it basically will reduce the ability of your melanocyte 
to produce pigment as a response to stress, inflammation, injury, UV exposure. Absolutely. I guess I want to pop in like my little theory about this and I want to say your opinion on this is that I think your histamine response should also be a consideration when you're talking about someone's Fitzpatrick skin type because I find that at times I can be really like well-suited for a treatment but still be a Fitzpatrick 4 but then be really like histamine-y one day and like really like have a bad reaction to a to a treatment but like and, and like it's me still be a four do you know what I mean yeah like, that's when you're that's when that's like a whole nother conversation of like when we're doing a skin analysis assessing like how your skin's responding to the touch to product like what that redness erythema response is like that is a whole another thing because when when I was looking at when we were you know discussing about this episode I was looking at you know some notes and that that I've accumulated um from university and journal articles and um I I was reading about how like pigment has a really huge role with histamine also like cells and um it gives it that feeding um issue because we know you know things like melasma for example it has that vascular component and mast cells help dilate blood vessels and help, you know, deliver inflammation to an area to make sure it's protected. So I think that's kind of, it would be interesting to, you know, like have a look at that and, you know, make those connections in other pigment conditions and yeah, um, like priming the skin. Yeah. So if I totally understand what you're saying. So if your skin is kind of in an, you know, increased histamine state, do you have a higher risk for, pro- for producing pigment? I totally think you would. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I I think so. It's all about connecting those, you know, different theories and putting them to the test, you know? Yeah, that's that scientific thinking. Always curious. (laughs) (laughs) So going back quickly to kind of how we form pigment is um, we we were talking about reactive oxygen species. So um, I just want to give like a little, I guess, introduction about it because I think it's really important um, when we discuss pigment, we talk about the sun also and its role in how it affects our skin. So um, with uh, reactive oxygen species or ROS, it is something that is accentuated in things in inflammatory conditions, things that are uh, cancerous, um, things with ultraviolet rays and even chemicals. So with melanocytes, there is um, something called uh, a P16 protein. And this is really important in, I guess, regulating oxidative stress, which what which is what this ROS does. And what it does is it depletes the melanocyte significantly and increases the reactive oxygen species levels. And um, the melanocytes are actually really more sensitive to the protein depletion than either a keratinocyte or fibroblast, which I thought was really interesting to look at. That's so interesting. Yeah. And would explain why, you know, so many people get pigmentation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that accumulative sun exposure as we age, as you like all of our listeners would know, like older people have so much more pigmentation, even though younger people spend so much more time in the sun. And that's because as we age, 
it becomes more visible and more prevalent. Yeah, absolutely. Cumulative damage. Yeah, definitely. Like we can, you know, we can only rely on, you know, these nuclear caps that the skin provides us with so much, but, you know, time and time again, our body can only withstand so much and, you know, just to, you know, uh, repeat it again, like living in Australia, like it's so intense sometimes in summer, Mm. like with how hectic it can be and we have to be really, really diligent on our sunscreen and, you know, not just from an aesthetic point of view but from like a functional like skin point of view. This is like one of the things I think personally that it's like it's one of the few things in skin where the skin is only really being affected. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of the a lot of issues we see in skin, it's all internal, external kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But like this is such a true external thing, and it's like you have to protect your skin. Make sure you're, you know, this is an, uh, this is a reactive oxygen species, right? So things that are going to be helping that, are, you know, antioxidant things, vitamin C, vitamin E, sunscreen, those things are going to really help block out this, um, this depletion of the protein in your skin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that is a great intro. Like we've covered so much already and I hope this gives everyone an idea about what pigmentation is. Absolutely. So stay tuned for part two because we're going to dive into what different types of pigmentation are, what you may have, um, you know, where that's sitting in the skin. How to treat it. How to treat it, ingredients to use. Um more about factors for formation, um, diagnosis, and of course, we're not going to shut up about sunscreen. In Never. This. In this in this household, we stand sunscreen. We stand. President, <laughs> fifty plus though. <laughs> Absolutely. Tonight, I just want to quickly bring up before we go, um, we got a we got a review on our podcast. Stop. Read it out. Shout out. Come on. Alrighty, so this review... Unless it's not five stars, then don't. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to know. <laughs> it is five stars. Um, this was posted on the 14th of June this year um, from Melbguy1401. And they said, so interesting. I didn't realise there was so much about skin and skincare that I didn't know. This is so informative and I can't wait until I get to hear more. That is so cute. Oh, my God. Nice. What a, so what a lovely, like, first review to get. I know. Like, that's going to keep us going for 50,000 more episodes. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so much more to say, so these episodes are going to keep coming. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, like we said, um, we will be back with another part of Pigment, and we're going to be talking about the nitty gritty. This was just a little intro, a little hors d'oeuvre into pigment. So we hope you enjoyed. See you next time. See you next time. Bye.